The gospel lesson this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. One thing about this text that's delightfully peculiar is that much of it is written in the present tense. And although our English translations tend to wipe that out so it sounds less strange, I think it's nice to read it that way because it adds to the curiosity and the anticipation of this marvelous morning. So I've preserved for you a fairly literal translation of this text this morning. And I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. On the first day of the week, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb and sees the stone having been rolled away from the tomb. So she runs and comes to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she says to them, They've taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples set out and were making their way to the tomb. The two of them were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster and reached the tomb first. And stooping down and looking in, he sees the grave wrappings resting there, but he does not go in. Then Peter arrives too, following the other disciple, and went into the tomb. He sees the linen wrappings placed there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not resting with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple, who got to the tomb first, went in, and he looked, and he believed. They were not yet familiar with the scripture that said he had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their places again. But Mary stood outside the tomb, weeping and weeping. Then while she was weeping, she stooped down and looked inside the tomb, and she sees two angelic figures sitting there, dressed in white, at the head and the foot of the place where Jesus' body had been placed. And they say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She says to them, They've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they have put him. After saying these things, she turned around again and she sees Jesus standing there, but she doesn't know that it is Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Thinking he is the gardener, she says to him, If you have taken him away, please tell me where you've put him so that I can go and get him. Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned around and says to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Jesus says to her, do not keep holding on to me because I have not yet ascended to my father. But do this, go and tell my brothers, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene comes and announces to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he told her these things. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Easter morning is not just the dawn of a new day. It is the dawn of a new creation, a cosmic recreation. Morning has broken like the first morning. 
Just as Genesis records the dawn of creation, so Easter morning begins in much the same way. It's early on the first day. It's still dark. And just as creation began in a garden, this morning of recreation also begins in a garden at the tomb of Christ. But that's where the similarities end. For in the first creation, humanity sinned and was afflicted with the curse of death and driven out from the garden to the east of Eden. And the path back to paradise was blocked by angels with flaming swords guarding the way to the tree of life. But as Easter morning dawns and light splits through the darkness, Mary arrives at the tomb of her Lord only to discover that the stone has been rolled away from the entrance. The seal of death has been broken, the curse of Eden overturned, and the possibilities for this new day stand wide open. The way back to the tree of life is now unobstructed. But Mary struggles to get her bearings, and she remains startled by the shattering of death's curse, the broken chains of sin to which the world had become so accustomed, the sudden vanishing of the chronic sting of death. Mary isn't aware of any of this yet. Instead, she stands at the tomb, weeping and weeping. In the dim light of morning, it hasn't dawned on her yet that everything is being made new. Everything has now changed. Death has forfeited the last word. No, the shadow of grief continues to linger over her. And when at last she looks into the tomb, she's startled again. Angels are standing at the gates to this paradise, but not angels guarding it with flaming swords, but angels sitting at the head and the feet of the place where he lay. And these angels, divine witnesses dressed in white, ask Mary, perhaps with a knowing glimmer in their eyes, why are you weeping? But even the appearance of angels isn't enough to shake Mary from this state of shocked stupor. She's still standing in the prison of the tomb, even though the stone has been rolled away. And so she says, someone took his body away, and I don't know where they put it. You see, she's not yet looking for the risen Christ. She's looking for his remains, looking for his memory from the old world, from the old creation. Then she turns and she sees the risen Christ standing there in the garden. And Jesus asked Mary the same question the angels did, surely with a glimmer in his eye too, but also a bit more forcefully, a bit more compellingly with a gentle admonition in his voice. Why are you weeping? And then he adds knowingly, whom are you looking for? But Mary doesn't recognize him. She thinks He's the gardener, you know, the one who keeps the tombs looking nice, the one who keeps death looking palatable, not so bad. Even now, death is on her mind. The tomb in which she's standing isn't supposed to be empty. It's supposed to contain its wage, its sting, its captive. So Mary repeats what she'd told the angels. If you're the one who took him away, Tell me where you've placed his body so that I can go and put it back in the tomb where it belongs. 
friends, sometimes we are just like Mary. Our world, like hers, is full of the forces of death, constant violence and destruction, lies that choke out the truth, illness and disease that ravage, stress and pressure and anxiety and fear, and on and on it goes. And sometimes, like Mary, we get so used to these forces of death as the status quo that we miss the new life that's offered us, that's standing right in front of us. Sometimes we get so accustomed to weeping that our vision of the new creation is streaky and impaired. Sometimes we tarry at the tomb, even when the stone is rolled away. It's almost like we settle for the reality of the tomb because that's what we're used to. We all know that person who loves to complain, right, but never does anything to change their life. We all know that person who defaults to the worst-case scenario, whose thinking is always plagued with anxiety. We all know that person who persists in self-destructive behavior long after they know that it's destructive. We all know that person, right? Maybe we are ourselves that person. It's strange, but it seems true that humans come to settle for the tombs we know instead of embracing the new life that we don't yet know. We prefer the familiar over the mysterious unknown to such an extent that we learn to love even the miserable familiar. We learn to linger at the tombs. We obsess over that which is dead or passing away. Even when the stone is rolled away from the entrance, we tarry at the tombs of the familiar instead of stepping into the glorious garden of new life to which our risen Savior beckons us. Why are you weeping? The risen Christ asks, and we reply, because that's what I know how to do. That's what I'm used to. And when he asks, whom are you looking for? The answer we give is rarely the risen Christ. No, we're usually looking for that which we're used to, that which we've settled for. And for most of us, it's the forces of death in our world that we're used to. The latest tragedy, the latest outrage, the latest scandal. The risen Christ is so hard to recognize because, like Mary, we aren't expecting him. We're not ready to encounter him. Instead, we expect and brace ourselves for more tombs, more curses, and more decay. But our stubborn persistence in the tomb is not enough to restrain the risen Christ. Jesus did not go to the cross and rise from the grave only to respect our right to self-determine that we prefer death and its minions after all. No, the risen Christ is a mighty fortress, and one little word from his mouth shall fell the prince of darkness who threatens to undo us. Jesus replies to Mary's persistent weeping with one such little word. It's his shortest but most powerful sermon in the Gospels. He simply utters her name, Mary. Jesus once said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I call my own sheep by name and lead them out. 
I go ahead of them and the sheep follow because they know my voice. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Mary knows her name. She knows the voice of the good shepherd. Jesus utters her name and suddenly she sees him. Suddenly she knows him. Finally, she turns her back on the grave and flees its broken chains. Rabboni, she cries. And John preserves the beautiful sound of the original Hebrew language in which she first uttered her shout of acclamation. And then she hugs him, clings to him, holding on for dear life. She wants things to now go back to the way they were before. She wants to turn back the clock a week, to hit the road again and go from village to village. Little does she know that only in letting Jesus go, only in letting him ascend to the Father, will Mary experience Jesus all the more fully and powerfully as the risen Christ who will reign forever and ever. Only in letting him go can Mary experience the profound depth of his presence. And so after a long embrace, Jesus tells her, don't hold on to me anymore, but go and tell the others that I am ascending to the Father. Jesus is returning to the bosom of God from whence, from whence he came, returning to the original garden, gardener, who in raising him from the dead has recreated paradise. So Jesus sends Mary forth away from the tomb and out into the creation which is now being renewed as the garden of Zion begins to spread to the ends of the earth. And Mary, the first missionary of the risen Christ, tells the disciples who tell it to their churches they plant in the Mediterranean, who bring the message to the ends of the earth. As the risen Christ makes his way throughout the world, our Lord continues to encounter many of us who tarry too long at the tombs, weeping and weeping. Too many of us seem to think, or at least we act like, Jesus is still dead in a tomb somewhere instead of alive and on the loose. And so too many of us don't expect to see him. On this Easter Sunday, our risen Savior asks us with gentle admonition about our tarrying at the tombs. He asks us about our weeping, about our settling with the forces of death, our tolerance for things that are passing away, our resignation to what we call just the way things are. Now, the forces of death remain serious threats in our world, it is true. The message of Easter morning is not that we can put our head in the sand and turn a blind eye to the forces of death. They're certainly still the enemy. But nevertheless, because Christ is alive, the forces of death are no longer inevitable or invincible. The risen Christ brings an eternal life that is more than enough to overcome any flaming sword obstructing the way to life any stone blocking freedom from the grave, any chain imprisoning the perishing. We may weep, but not because we are helpless against the grave, not because the stone is too heavy to be moved, not because the forces of death have the last word. No, Christ is alive, 
and not just alive, but on the loose. And so the promise and hope of this morning should invigorate our lives every morning. So why are we weeping and weeping? Why are we weeping and continuing to nurse that grudge from all those years ago? Why are we weeping and settling for being treated as less than we are worth as precious children of God? Why are we weeping and acquiescent to the persistence of oppression and injustice in our world? It need not be so. Our bitterness and our resentment are not inevitable. Our abuse and neglect are not just the way things are. Division and violence are not just an inescapable byproduct of a globalized world. No. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and in his rising he has vanquished the wages of sin, the power of death. New life is here. It begins now, and it endures forever. The new creation has dawned, and it is the new Adam, the risen Christ, whose perfect obedience to God has ensured that we will never again be expelled to the east of Eden Friends, weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes on Easter morning. Don't weep too long. Don't tarry too long at the tombs. New life is springing forth. The new creation is close at hand, and our risen Savior is calling you by name. So go forth with Mary's joyful shout of acclamation. We have seen the Lord. Christ is risen indeed, and he shall reign forever and ever. Alleluia and amen.